Video. It's the only way to get what you want to watch when you want to watch it. Hello, my name is Justin Kluwer. I'm here today with... Mark Hansen. Oh, wow. That's a big superhero voice. I'm going to talk this way the whole episode. That's how I'm going to talk. Now, people, <laughs> people listening may be like, wait, oh, is there like three episodes a week now? Like, what's going on? <laughs> I know. We're like at our most prolific ever for this. I'm loving it. We fell uh, way behind. And by we, I mean me uh, yeah. when it comes to editing these episodes. And I think we're still a week behind, aren't we? We are. We are. But let's be serious. We've fallen a pretty behind at the store with releases coming in. So there's just a lot mm-hmm. to catch up with, right? Yeah, that's right. That's what it is. <laughs> so this week we have The Giver being released by Arrow. Now, uh, <laughs> The is a movie that I feel like I should love more than I do. And I love The Giver Part 2, Dark Hero, okay. which stars David Hayter, screenwriter of Watchmen. Uh, the first one, eh, not so much. I think it's credited as being directed by Screaming Mad George, isn't it? Yeah, and Steve Wang, actually. Who I yeah, know Steve Wang is also the co-director, but you don't really feel his touch. Yeah. He directed all of the second one. Right, right. And uh, I think Brian Yuzna probably did some stuff on it as well. And it's like uh, the anime manga, basically Power Rangers. I can't say the Japanese word. Tokusatsu. I know I've seen it a million times, but. <laughs> it's a good and track, yeah. Mark Hamill's in it. He turns into this really scary um, snail monster at the end. <laughs> Yeah, it uh, filled with like practical suits, and I would be more excited about this release if it was a special edition. But it's not, which is weird. Well, it kind of is, though, isn't it? There's I... one interview. Uh, and that's okay. it. Well, I yeah. heard from our friend of the podcast, Mike Wood, actual friend of the podcast, Mike Wood, that there's been some sort of weird rights issue with this in the U.S. It's only available in Canada. It's only isn't it? available in Canada uh, right now, which is interesting. So yeah, this is a Canada-only exclusive. I mean, the artwork work looks beautiful on it. I mean, it looks like a special edition, even if there's nothing much on it. Um, If there was like a commentary with Steve Rang and Screaming Mad George, who was mostly known as a special effects guy, I would be there in a second. Oh, yeah. But yeah, no, there's nothing, which makes me sad. But makes me excited for Steve Wang's Drive, which has been announced from MVD coming out at some point. I heard that, yeah. I thought you'd be excited about that. Very excited. I want him to put his Super 8 film, Kung Fu Rascals, on it, which is a lot of fun as well. I agree with you about The Giver, though. It, It is a movie that I thought I would enjoy more than I did too. It took me a while to get to it. I probably first saw it maybe like five, six years ago. And yeah, I really liked the effects in it and like kind of the vibe, but it didn't, it doesn't actually stick with me that much. Like when I actually think back on it now, I can't remember large chunks of it. So there's some fun monster suits, but like, it's not much of an action movie while the second one is actually the second one. The big problem is it's two hours long, which okay. is way too long for the guy. <laughs> but, but I always did hear the second one was good. I've been meaning yeah, the to second check one it is, it's good. And it's probably more fun than the first one. But if people want monster suits, the guy is a good place to go. Oh, totally. Especially if you're Canadian and you're like, Ooh, Canadian exclusive. Yeah. You aren't going to find it anywhere else. Eh, the UK. Probably the UK. <laughs> Does the UK still have HMV stores? I think they do, they don't do, they? They do, right? Mm-hmm. I think so. Don't they have another well, Canada still has some. Yeah, uh, yeah Like, yeah. on the outskirts in some of the small towns. Yeah. And they have, like, Arrow and uh, Vinegar Syndrome sections. Oh, totally, totally. It's cool. It's like those straggler blockbusters that still exist here and there. Uh, there's one blockbuster left. It's called <laughs> the last one? blockbuster. There's only one, <laughs> no, yeah. I thought there were two or three. Uh, yeah, video stores. When are they going to go away, right, Mark? <laughs> Yeah, geez. So what if you were bought up and like Rogers gave you a call and they were like, we want to make you into a Rogers video, <laughs> which was a Canadian, basically like yeah. the big blockbuster brand. Would you be like, OK, well, your having... pay is not going to go up. <laughs> having worked for Rogers video for a good you know, six, seven years before working at Bay Street Holy video. shit, seven years? Yeah, I worked at Ro- Rogers video was my first retail job when I started when I was 17, I think. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I gr- eventually graduated to selling cell phones and wireless and cable. That's kind of what they do. They, they make you start at the video store, and then they d- then they realize, like, oh, you, you're going to graduate to not actually renting videos anymore. So. Couldn't you be like, I just want to rent videos. Don't give me a job doing cell phones. I know, I know. They really pushed me into it. They really push you into it, though. It's weird. So are, do you wish you could go back? Is what the, that what you're trying to get to? <laughs> no, I eventually quit because they basically phased out the video stuff, and I'm like... I don't really mm. want to do this anymore. <laughs> so we also have um, a whole bunch of Arrow video releases. We have Blood Tide, uh, directed by Richard Jeffries. 
don't know much about this one. It's a um, monster movie that was produced by the guy that we keep talking about, the director of Island of Death. And he, he co-wrote it too, right? Nico Masterakis. Yeah, they just keep beating that dead horse. <laughs> and uh, this one supposedly has uh, fun James Earl Jones, very like little performance at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, I don't know. I just didn't get to this one. <laughs> no, but I did watch Dream Demon, which was released by Arrow. I did too, actually. I thought it was a lot of fun. I was taken by the um, kind of the storytelling structure of it a little bit. I really liked how the dreams and the reality did tend to blur a lot. And it did feel like a lot of the dream sequences felt like actual dreams. Uh, it had great effects, too. I just think it kind of started spinning its wheels in the last half hour. It doesn't really close out satisfyingly for well, me. Well, the issue with the movie is that, like, it would have probably worked a little bit better if it had, like, a stra- uh, a slasher structure, which it doesn't. Yeah. And so, like, you're waiting, like, ah, oh, are people going to get murdered or what's going on? And because of that, it's, it, like you said, it has that kind of wheel spinning feeling. Yeah. The way I described it was like, oh, a Dario Argento tries to do Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. No, and I think the other problem I had with it, too, was I mean, it, it. the premise is really interesting as it's just like kind of about a woman who is about to get married to this kind of like rich playboy guy who's in the news a lot. And she has these dreams about, you know, that are basically her fears about getting married. And that seems really interesting, like that tension. But it seems like they kind of go with the less interesting storyline, which is like her and this new friend she has. And they kind of pivot away from the stuff that I initially found interesting. But mm, You wanted the, like, Princess Die-like storyline yeah, that was going yeah. out in that's, front. A, that's what I thought they were setting up more, and then I didn't really go in that direction. Ah, her husband's just a piece of shit. That's basically, when you get it within five minutes and it has nowhere else but to go. But he seems kind of like an okay guy at first. You're like, okay, but then he just kind of disappears for so much of it, and then they bring him back. I don't know. I thought it was, I mean, it was directed by uh, Harley Coakless, right? The guy who made um, Black Moon Rising, I guess, is one of his. And the Burt Reynolds film Malone. Right, right. And I also saw he made a version of a short film version of Crash, like the J.G. Ballard novel Crash. Oh, early on in his career? He's British, so. Yeah, like in the early 70s with J.G. Ballard's, I guess, participation. I think it was like some film school type thing. So it was kind of interesting. Well, Dream Demon was a film that was famously believed to be lost for a long time. That They thought that the negative was just gone. So like it was a big deal when they announced it that they found it in like some warehouse that Technicolor owned and they were, did a scan and there's like a director's cut of it which is the perfect kind of director's cut where it's like shorter than the theatrical version you're like mm, oh nice I love that yeah you know that's better <laughs> and there's like tons of interviews everybody is interviewed that was on this movie it's insane there's like oh, 10 yeah. interviews on this <laughs> <laughs> a typical Arrow special oh, yeah. edition and it looks great too so it does. Great gore effects in it, too, I have I to mean, say. I mean, the the biggest issue is the best gore effect happens in the first five minutes. <laughs> it does. I was I was hooked in the first five minutes from that one gore effect alone. It never tops that, And then it that, never yeah. quite matches up to that. I mean, you do get no. Timothy Spall, like, looking like a monster. Yeah, he's good in it. I like how they keep yeah. making him yeah. look grosser and grosser. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so we also have White Fire being released by Arrow. I also watched this one. I watched this one too. I have to say, this was a real treat. I, I oh. really, I really enjoyed so this. I read some like negative reviews about it, but then I also discovered that it is a famous film in France. Is where it really? It's like one of the. So in France, like B movie or bad movies are called nanars, okay. and so there's a website called uh, Nanarland. And like, this is one of their like uh, totems that when they talk about movies and I was talking to one of the guys, uh, someone who lives in France and he worked on some of the special features on this. So I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to check it out. And like when I actually looked into the pedigree, it's like a French porn director yeah. who made an action film in Turkey with like <laughs> Turkish film crews. Yeah. And they use the sound effects. So did they edit the movie there too? Like I watch a lot of Turkish films because I released the movie Death Warrior and yeah. I recognize the like punching sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, Robert Ginty from The Exterminator stars in this old stone face himself. Oh my god, he's got the most 80s dad look. Yeah, The perfect way to describe Robert Ginty is like, he's your mom's new boyfriend. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the sta- he's so like tubby and out of shape too. But he, like... And this film uh, has like really fun, like um, trashy kind of stuff. But the plot is insane. I don't even know if I want to explain it. But it is so disgusting what happens. It's yeah. like incest. <laughs> That's all it is. Yeah. It is the most convoluted way to get to incest. 
but is it incest? I don't know. It's played in such a wholesome kind of way, you know, in a strange way. Like, mm-hmm. basically, this guy's just in love with his sister. But I mean, the way you're right, the way they get to that point, which I definitely won't spoil because it's it's worth watching, is so ridiculous. I, I frankly didn't see it coming. I was like, I feel like I should have seen it coming. But I was like, oh, wow, they're actually going to go this route. Aren't and they? this movie throws something new at you like every five minutes. You're like, oh, chainsaw fight, oh, totally. I guess. Wait, Fred Williamson <laughs> yeah. is in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love when Fred I forgot Fred Williamson was even in this until he shows up like 45 minutes into it like, "Oh yeah, Fred Williamson's in this." And then his character gets more and more ridiculous. I mean, there's some great gore effects in this one too, also with the uh with the Some really scenes. dangerous stunts too, supposedly. Uh in oh, the first scene, the director playing just um a random character gets blown up and you see him catch fire cuz the explosion went oh, wrong. Oh yeah, I love that moment. <laughs> And I have to say, yeah, it starts off with this prologue where it's like the two main characters as children, like, I guess they're refugees. They're escaping with their parents from some. They're supposed to be Russian, even though they have, like, no Russian accents. And I love how they turn out to be just Americans as yeah. they're adults. <laughs> That's right. But yeah, they, they escape and it's like this big dramatic moment where their parents get killed and everything. But it doesn't really have anything to do with the rest of the movie. <laughs> and we didn't actually point out that it's about diamond thieves as well. Yeah, they, <laughs> and then they go on to be, yeah, you know, they work in a diamond mine and they're diamond thieves. I'm like, okay, sure, I guess but it's we're like, here. It looks like a set of a Turkish film or like a weird sci-fi movie where everyone's wearing red jumpsuits. And uh, this movie is just a blast and like a one of a kind thing. And, you know, it was a big deal that Arrow was putting it out because for a long time, again, the print was lost and it looks perfect because they obviously scan a negative or something like that. Oh, yeah. And it also has one hell of a catchy theme song that they continue to play. Well, it has two theme songs by the same band, uh, the love one and one that's just like, what? Which is so I'm still I watch it last night and i'm still singing it in my head all day today it plays like 10 times in the movie and every time it happens you're like and yeah. it just comes out of nowhere it'll be like a random scene and then cut and the song comes back in it's yeah this movie was a total blast i'm gonna pick this one up myself because i just want i want to watch it i want to show it show it to all my friends honestly yeah exactly it's like a friend uh coming over movie which you should not be doing in this epidemic but once that's over but, yeah this movie definitely needs to be played in like a rep theater somewhere too like i'm surprised i mean i guess it's because maybe it just hasn't been available or anything but this would kill in a theater with a packed crowd so we also have speaking of fun times at the movies uh the woman and offspring <laughs> yeah i think we've talked about the woman on a previous podcast for some reason i, I remember a special having... edition of it that came up no it's because pollyanna mcintosh yes her sequel to the movie came darlin that's what we were talking i mean i personally don't like this film at all i, I think you're a fan of this film though right Nah, not really i just don't it seems like it's trying so hard to be this like feminist mm-hmm. horror movie but totally from the perspective of two dudes who i don't really think get the audience that they're pitching this to uh, I mean, I always relate the story of seeing it. I mean, I think we talked about this before, but I saw it at the premiere of the Toronto After Dark Film Festival when it came out. And the audience did not get it. Like, they liked it, but oh, they, they were, laughed at all they the like, laughed yeah. at the violence against women. They were in a way that I don't think the filmmakers necessarily intended. So I'm not putting it all on the filmmakers, but I do think. I just don't think it works. I think the tone is just off for mm. me in it. Lucky McKee's one of those guys that, like, I like hearing him talk. I like the things he likes. But I don't like any of his movies. And I find it frustrating. Like, I don't even like May. People love May. Yeah, I like May. I was a big fan of May. I mean, I haven't seen it Ugh, since... I'm like, it's a short film that happens to be 90 minutes. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen it. So maybe it doesn't hold up. But I really liked it at the time, which is why I wanted to see The Woman initially. <laughs> I'm all about The Woods. That's the Lucky McKee. I'm going to ride yeah, or I die like with. The Woods. I thought The Woods was okay. It's like yeah. Suspiria, but with none of the fun colors. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. not as good, but... <laughs> um, but I have... I've, I've seen the other film on this set, too, Offspring, which was, I guess, technically the first film in this series that I think... I want to say Andrew Vanden Houten directed... I don't know. Yeah. Another one of those guys who's produced a lot of those um, kind of films. Yeah. And I think I, I liked Offspring more, I have to say. Offspring is a bit more of a grimy exploitation flick without like the pseudo like feminist commentary that I just don't think really works in The Woman. Offspring is basically just about this cannibal tribe kind of coming out of the woods and terrorizing this family. So I found that one a little more entertaining at the time. I don't even necessarily have an issue with the message of The Woman. I think what they're trying to get at 
is interesting, but they just don't do it in. And I have this problem with Jack Ketchum stuff. Other like I have this problem with the girl next door as well. I think. Oh boy, I do not like the girl yeah, next door, which is not a pleasant film at all. And I think it knows that it's trying to be provocative and transgressive, but it also has a tone deafness to it that I think just kind of makes it renders it kind of pointless. What about The Lost? Uh, you know what? I like The Lost. The Lost is the one Jack Ketchum adaptation that I actually really like, and I'm not sure why that one works for me. That one's actually directed by the guy who went on to make the... Uh, uh, Lindsay Lohan film, I Know Who Killed Me. Which I'm a big fan of for its camp value. But uh, I think he brings a directorial touch to it, and I really like the performance from the lead actor in The Lost. I think that really helps it. But The Girl Next Door and The Woman both just honestly made me feel, left me feeling kind of icky, but not in a good... I don't mind feeling icky from movies, but it just didn't work for me, either of those. <laughs> You're like, I just wanted to feel good at the end of the yeah, movie. Yeah, come on. <laughs> I want my horror movies to make leave me with a smile on my face. Uh, just like uh, Dolly Dearest, uh, the new release from Vinegar Syndrome, I'm sure, will leave you with a smile. Wait, did you see this one? Of course I did. <laughs> okay. Uh, killer doll film. Yep. Famous for just being a Chucky ripoff. But this is not a male doll. It's a woman doll. It's actually a female director, too. Um, did you look into it? It's a porn actor. And a porn director, too. But this was her, I think her one and only, like... A straight film. No one can see me doing air quotes. I, wait, I don't mean to intend that like this film also features pornography in it. Yeah, there's no, there's absolutely no. This film is very acceptable for honestly, it's not even that for teens, honestly. And she wrote and directed this, so it, it seems like a wow. passion project of sorts. But so um, people were like clamoring for this to come out because like Vinegar Syndrome had to delay it a bunch. Why? I don't know. I mean, I thought it was a lot of fun. I'd never seen it until recently. Um, and I where always, does it um, rate on the Robert scale? I mean, the first Robert is just so endlessly entertaining that I can't. <laughs> that's right up there. It's better than the Robert sequels. I will say that compared to Child's Play, I mean, it definitely rips off the Chucky thing a lot. What about Pinocchio's Revenge? You know, I've never seen Pinocchio. Pinocchio's Revenge. I, I got to get on that. That feels it, it, one that's going to come out like um, when I don't know what what was it Vestron video yeah, restarts again. <laughs> I don't know if they're still doing that one. A fifty dollar Pinocchio's Revenge. But no, Dolly Dearest, I had a lot of fun with. I don't think it's perfect, and it definitely drags a little bit. But the doll is hilarious. It's great. Oh, does it have a lot of one liners? Yeah, it has a lot of one liners, and there's also like an actor. A, a, I guess I would say a little person actor. I don't know if that's the correct terminology. Who play? And it's actually the same little person who stunt doubled for Chucky in the in some of the Child's Play movies. I love it when it cuts to like a little person running around in a suit. It's so funny. But the uh, facial expressions are great too. So the effects work they did on that's really good. Otherwise, yeah, it's your pretty standard haunted doll movie. But. Um, I don't know. I, th I had a lot of fun with it. So uh, we have a bunch of Vinegar Syndrome titles this week. We also have Malibimba. I think I'm saying Malibimba, that right. Malibimba, <laughs> I think. It sounds like a, like a weird musical note that I should be singing. Uh, this is a film that is directed by Andrea Bianchi, who's most famous for Burial Ground and Strip Nude for Your Killer. Yeah. And this is a, is it a non-sploitation movie? That's what the cover looks like. It is, yeah. So it's kind of an erotic, it's more of an erotic horror kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of Burial Ground. <laughs> eh, yeah, it's okay. I was never a huge fan of it. You know, I, I'd probably like it more if I watched yeah, it recently. Yeah, it's got a cool, like, I like its dream. It's got a dreaminess to it that's just so ridiculous in it. it like, it seems to have no beginning yeah, and no it's end. it's like you're just thrown into this weird dream. Uh, I mean, I didn't like Strip Nude for Your Killer. That movie's just kind of like... Uh, he's famous for making real sleazy movies. Yeah, so. that one's, like, super misogynistic. Oh, it says it's a hardcore exorcist ripoff. Yeah, I think it's classified as an adult movie, if you like look it up on IMDb. Oh, wow. Okay. So not for teens. No, it's always been popular on DVD. I want to say like Mondo Macabro put it out initially or something, but... Oh, I think they did. You're right. They did a lot of non-sploitation stuff, which is not really my bag. Me neither. I kind of seen a couple. They kind of just are boring yeah. to me. Uh, there's some really fun Japanese ones like, uh, is it like Prayer for the Beast or something like that? Which is a... Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah, that's yeah. not the right title, but it's something like that. Yeah. We also have Deadline being released by Vinegar Syndrome. I've seen this one. It's a Canucksploitation classic oh is it good yeah it's so much fun it's about a guy who writes horror novels and horror screenplays who his life is like falling apart and basically it's uh just him going through his life i believe in toronto or montreal like going to like uh college campuses to speak intercut was just random footage from these supposed like horror movies that he's made like one of them is like a farmer is uh psychically thrown into a thresher by an evil goat <laughs> 
Like, just people being hung. But in between those segments, which have nothing to do with what's going on in the main movie, which made me think, like, is this like a cat in the brain situation that these are scenes from other movies? Nope, they were shot just for this film. Uh, Really? Okay. The main character, the writer, is like his whole life is dissolving. His marriage is just crumbling around him. And it's like a Cassavetes-like drama. Okay, okay. uh, Until, like, something genuinely horrible happens to him. And it's also a weird film where you're like, is it, like, demonizing violence and entertainment? Like, cause that's what it feels like it's doing. <laughs> yeah, you're not sure what the message is. And uh, yeah, and it's been widely only available on VHS for the longest time. So like Vinegar Syndrome, you know, they did their thing and it looks as good as it ever will. We also have Olivia, which is arguably Yuli Lomer's best film. Is it? I think I've only seen one Yuli Lomel film. Um... You haven't? He's like famous for doing like true crime nonsense. I know, I know. I've only seen The Boogeyman. And I, th- I like The Boogeyman a lot. That movie's pretty crazy. Yeah, The Boogeyman was fun. It's a good uh, solid slasher movie, but I keep meaning to get into his stuff. This one is like his take on Vertigo. That's all I'll say about it. Um, it's about like a woman's and also like repulsion. So it's like she's like going psychotic and she can't deal with the men in her life. And it's all shot in London, too. So it feels like really weird and like otherworldly. I mean, Uli Lamel was also famous for he was part of Fassbender's team. Yeah. So uh, not Michael Fassbender, the other <laughs> Fassbender. Yeah. Well, going back to my Rogers video days, I actually first learned about Uli Lamel when I was at Rogers because at that time we were getting in like two or three movies from him a year that were all these like true crime ripoff yeah, he did, movies. Yeah, like the Alphabet Killer, like Ted yeah, Bundy. Yeah, he, he did a yeah. Zodiac movie. He did. They were famously terrible. Yeah, I never saw any of them. I mean, I got tricked recently. When I saw an amazing cover, which looked like uh, the house that Jack built ripoff starring yeah. <laughs> uh, Kevin Dillon. Did you see this? I like right. tweeted about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, Uli Lomel made this. But then it's like he died three years ago. So unless he did this from beyond the grave. Definitely not. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. More vinegar syndrome. We also have Pale Blood, which is a vampire film. Don't know much about it. I think it's a 90s one. I think so. Yeah, I don't know. My, this was a real obscure one. I haven't yeah, seen it. Yeah, I haven't seen many like, whoa, undiscovered classic uh, when it comes to this one either <laughs> i know uh, and two porn um dvds carnal highways and carnal olympics and uh, frankie <laughs> and johnny were lovers and the mislaid genie mm, great titles yeah. <laughs> so if you need your porn fix um go at it vinegar syndrome i'll only buy them if they're special editions these double packs do nothing for <laughs> yeah, me uh, these are the dvd ones i think so we also have a universal horror collection volume five and we made jokes about them like scraping the bottom of the I barrel know. hey volume six is coming out soon too it is, is. It? <laughs> i do like that these are all gorilla based <laughs> movies which makes me very interested the monster and the girl captive wild woman jungle woman and jungle captive it's just funny to say all those titles at once yeah we sell like one of these per volume now they're just Really? Like, the sales on these are just dying. Maybe I have to come in and grab this one Please because do. they listen to me. They put commentary on every movie, do which they? shows me that they could find at least one person to care about every picture. Now, some of those commentaries, I don't recognize the name. doesn't matter. <laughs> that's how you get me. Well, that's the thing. Even if it's just some random guy or some random lady. Uh, Justin DeClue, for example. So we also have The Hills Run Red, uh, which is a movie from 2009 that Shout Factory is putting out. Yeah, it's a weird. This was like a straight to video movie that came out in 2009. I, I saw this one. I didn't like it very much. Uh, it's actually directed by the guy who directed uh, The Dead Hate the Living, which I made fun of last week. Yeah, I also saw he was one of the screenwriters of uh, Uwe Boll's House of the Dead. So, you know. Oh, yeah, famously, he was one of those screenwriters. Yeah, I don't know why Show Factory picked this one. Maybe up, he, they're but... friends with the guy. I don't know. Maybe I'll revisit it and like it. I remember it having like a real bummer ending, and I was like, ugh, no thank you. It's got you. like a meta thing going on, right? It's like. I already got my fill with Midnight Movie when it comes to meta slasher films. Right. <laughs> so we have Friday the 13th, the 40th anniversary steelbook. Don't be a sucker. Don't buy this. <laughs> Don't buy this. Yeah. This is literally the same Blu-ray disc that they had out before. They've just, It's got the same extras, same everything. They've just put it in a steelbook. Listen, book. consumer, you're going to get whenever a box set comes out, it's going to come out eventually. Uh, you know, when I, maybe the guy who is fighting them over, the screenwriter of the first one, when he passes away, but it'll happen. Just like that giant Halloween box set that came out uh, from Scream Factory. Can you, you can't get that anymore, right? 
No, that's out of print now too. It sucks because and with that Friday the the initial Friday the thirteenth set, which was in that big like steel book. Well thing. supposedly it was like really compromised and it was kind of like a, a stopgap as opposed to like Yeah, you know, the ultimate edition that it should have been. Yeah, I really wish they'd really I'm a big fan of that franchise and I really want like a nice Blu-ray set. And right now they have like the first eight out on one Blu-ray set. But there's like not many extras or anything either. I just I, somebody needs to like figure these rights issues out. You're right. Like get, I don't know, pay off who they need to pay off and just put this thing. So out. we have Blue Underground doing two 4K releases. Maniac and Zombie. Oh my god. <laughs> As if Maniac and Zombie haven't been released enough times. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I mean, they wouldn't do this unless they thought they could squeeze the consumer for a few extra dollars. So Zombie and Maniac were released like it feels like a few months ago I on know. Blu-ray. Less than a year ago, I would say, in like new editions. And they were already on Blu-ray before that even from Blue Underground. But you know what? We've sold a few of each co- uh, of each one. I watched Zombie so many times when it came out and I'm like, I'd rather watch like City of Living Dead or the Beyond yeah. than Zombie. I mean, you know I'm not a huge Fulci fan, but Zombie I, I, zombie has its moments for me. I mean, the shark thing's great, and it's got some other moments. Maniac, I think Maniac I appreciate for what it is, but it's not a movie I ever really think about rewatching. Yeah, it's kind of a miserable movie, and it's kind of sold as like a sleazy New York movie, and it's not. I mean, it feels less New Yorky than I remember it every time I watch it. There's a good scene in the um, subways. When uh, someone gets chased down. It's got a good vibe. I mean, it's got that great shotgun blast to the head, too. Oh, yeah, the Tom Savini. People are buying them, yeah. And they've got, I think they just announced uh, House by the Cemetery. They're doing UHD. Yep. Wow. And one more, too, that I'm blanking on right now. New York Ripper? Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's New York Ripper. Ridiculous. (laughs) Which, again, both just came out recently, too. I mean, I guess they already have the scans, and it's just, like, easy No, they to... don't have the scans. They have no? to redo the scans, supposedly. All right. Yeah. Never mind, then. I mean, William Lustig on a podcast I just listened to, he went, well, I just bought a 4K player. It's like, what? <laughs> I mean, we're proudly non-4K uh, Blu-ray watchers. I know, I know. I mean, I, I almost considered buying a 4K player when my last Blu-ray player it's died. It's so expensive. The, the player's $200, and then you'd have to get a 4K TV. I know, and I have no plans on buying a 4K TV anytime soon. So, so moving Moving on to classics, um, we have Columbia Classics Collection, which I, I assume exists only if you needed to get your father a gift and you didn't know what to get oh, him. Oh man, like... we got so many Father's Day requests for this set. So this is a bizarre set. I mean, it's all Ultra HD and they have taken six classic, classic, I'm doing air quotes again, Columbia movies, one of which is Lawrence of Arabia, which is making its UHD debut, which is odd. They're not On this? On this, yeah. Oh, so you have to buy you this if you want to. You have to buy this. But then oh. also, you know what else it comes with? It comes with Jerry Maguire. Oh, and a League of Their Own. Good movie, but like Ultra HD. Gandhi, a movie that no one watching this will ever will ever watch. Uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. And I yep. think there's one more. Dr. Dr. Strange Love. So, I mean, Lawrence of Arabia would sell like wildfire by itself. No question. But I don't know. They're just putting it in this set for now. I don't know if there's any plans on releasing them individually, but... I mean, they will. Come on now. You would think so. It's like 100 bucks for this set, though. We have sold a bunch of them, though, so there is a market. Oh, man, these are all, like, dad... Yeah, it's a dad thing. Braveheart, Gladiator, and UHD. Oh, yeah. So they so we get the Braveheart and Gladiator Steelbook UHDs that have come out this week. And both of these movies have already come out on UHD, first of all. So, I mean, I don't think they've done anything new. Man, Steelbooks are such a racket. When did they, like, figure that out? It feels like in the last year, right? Yeah, yeah. I feel like they've been releasing more and more Steelbooks of things that have already just come out in the last year or so, yeah. It feels like Vinegar Syndrome, I, I became aware of, like, packaging as a like way to get people to buy things at a higher price when vinegar syndrome started doing those like slip covers and they discovered that their audiences were like obsessed with oh them. yeah now we still don't get them here they actually started to repackage old blu-rays they couldn't sell in slip covers and then they sell but yeah steel books same thing i don't get it you know what i've never seen braveheart though freedom i watch it a lot because my dad had it on dvd <laughs> yeah it was a movie that like my parents loved and everything i just i don't know why i never saw it i don't know is it any good i mean i haven't watched it in like 10 years 
<laughs> I'm sure it's fun. Yeah. Uh, Mel Gibson's a fun director. He's also racist. I, I like Apocalypto a lot. You know, people people like Apocalypto. Oh yeah, Apocalypto and Gladiator's fun too. I remember looking Gladiator's really long. It's like two hours and twenty minutes. I really like Gladiator when I saw it in theaters when it came out. I've never returned to it, but I have fond memories of uh, it. Criterion, you just received a bunch of stuff from them as well. You. As if it's like Mark gets him at his house, checks all the discs. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, a lot of this is, again, delayed stuff from the last month or two, but we're finally starting to catch up a little hey, bit. have you just uh, moved out of your house and you're about to start university? Well, you need to fill those shelves. Sounds like you have to get Eric Romer's Six Moral Tales. <laughs> Are you a Romer head? Uh, I like Romer. Uh, I haven't yeah. really, like... I'm sure you're about to say that I just got obsessed with him and you watched all his movies, right, Mark? Uh, I actually haven't seen a ton of Romer. I've oh, seen a... I'm shocked. I know, I know. I've seen a few and I really like what I've seen. I like his vibe. It's just I like that laid back mm. French kind of naturalism sort of thing. I feel like he's different than a lot of the French New Wave guys. He has a little bit, little bit more of like a laid back kind of uh, vibe to his movies. Uh, but yeah, I need to dive into the set because I haven't even seen all the films on this set yet. I feel like most people that I hear say like, oh man, Eric Romer is my favorite director, like are starting their first year of university and they have like a mattress yeah. on the floor. I feel like so many like kind of like indie movies too, just about people like in their relationships always get... They always are like, oh, this movie's so Romer-esque. I feel like I hear that critic quote all the time. Mm -hmm. So we also have Scorsese shorts that are being released. Never seen any of these, but this collects, yeah. It says shorts, but like there's some short films like A Close Shave, his first one. But there's also like the hour-long documentaries that he did, like Italian American on here. So yeah, if you're a Scorsese fan, pick these up. Uh, man, this is a real like um, criterion week of like, oh man, I like real cinema. Because we also have a John Cassavetes film, Husbands. No posers yeah. here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just like real stuff like Porno, <laughs> yeah. and Vinegar Syndrome put out. As long long as it got special features uh yeah but i've never actually seen this one uh, i know i've seen a lot of his other stuff and i again yeah really like obviously he's like kind of the godfather of real like indie cinema yeah, me too like the dirty dozen and rosemary's baby love john cassidy uh, but no i really like his stuff especially the stuff that's on the big criterion set that's been out for years uh for some reason i've never gotten around to this one though but i know it's well loved never been on blu-ray before it was only kind of on a shoddy dvd before so this is kind of a big one hmm we also have The Cameraman, 1928, Buster Keaton. Yeah, I'm not very well versed in Buster Keaton. I know, I know, for shame, for shame. I love Buster Keaton. You know, there's that saying, is you're either a Buster Keaton or Chaplin person. I was never really into Charlie Chaplin. I think it was something that you need to be given as a child, and I never was. And Buster Keaton speaks to more of my aesthetic, stone-faced don't react much to things big stunts oh yeah he's funny the stuff i've seen like the clips i've seen seems like it's right up my alley i just clips, need to yeah. i know you're like Jean-Luc Godard you like go to a house and you read the back of the book and you're like i've read this novel <laughs> i know all i need to know about Buster Keaton <laughs> yeah listen you've worked in video stores for like 20 years Rogers video didn't have any Buster Keaton films right <laughs> oh i'm sure they did on public domain VHS guaranteed <laughs> not, not on DVD that's for sure this one's been selling like hotcakes though the cameraman really absolutely yeah it's probably been our best-selling criterion this week did you sell a lot of copies of like those buster keaton sets that uh kino yeah out? we sold a lot of stuff from Ke from the kino vaults that they've put out but yeah this one was out of all these criterions we got this week this was the hottest selling hmm. one we also have dance girl dance a dorsey arzner movie uh one of the most famous women filmmakers early on in the Hollywood scene and once they most famous one of the only ones as well who had a pretty consistent career until just like abruptly ended and she retired I haven't seen this one either have yeah you, no I'm sorry <laughs> I'm glad you took the bullet and you watched like Dream Demon and White Fire the fun one yeah exactly come on I had White Fire to watch this week I did a whole episode on Dorsey Arzner on the Important Cinema Club so you guys should check that out if you want to listen well, to it about it there you go I mean this is also a musical is it not uh kinda I think it's a stage musical it's not a um which uh, I just approve of. I need like, uh, I don't know what the term is when it's like it breaks out like non-diegetic musicals. Those are my favorite. Okay. As opposed to like cabaret, which is like on stage. Right. Or, no, thank you. Yeah, you're not into that? Nah. I like people <laughs> dancing and singing and like, I don't know, jumping over garbage cans right, and stuff right. like that. We also have a favorite of ours, Paul Mar Marzuski. An unmarried woman. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> friend of the podcast, Paul Mazursky. Because <laughs> <laughs> we talked about him last week. Uh, again, yeah, don't really know much about Paul Mazursky. Uh, but people have been waiting for a good release of this for a while. Oh, yeah, because this is probably his most famous one as well, other than Bob, Ted, Carol, and Alice. I think so, yeah. Uh, but you definitely know Miranda July, right? I, yeah, I love Miranda July, and I especially love Me and You and Everyone We Know, which is the next film on this list. This film really means a lot to me. I don't know, I really, really love this film. This is probably one of my favorite films that year of that decade really and it still really sticks with me i don't know what it is because like there's obviously a lot of indie comedies that kind of came out in that time and this was definitely one of those sundance winner indie comedies but for some reason this one just felt a lot more trenchant it just like really sat with me more than like any of those like 500 days of summer or like garden state or stuff like that you know i don't know maybe it's because she she started off as a video artist. Yeah, I think she's still like a mixed media artist. Yeah, yeah. And me and you and everyone we know definitely takes the form of her video artwork from before. And it's just kind of like a bunch of different mo- – yeah, it's about a bunch of stories, about a bunch of different characters. But it's really just focused on like small moments in like really strange offbeat kind of ways. It never really goes where you think it's going to go. And I just find her really interesting as an actress. Um, I also think... What, her? What about John Hawks, the co-star of this movie? Star of Road Racers and Scary Movie. Uh, John Hawks is great in this film too. And I think it really kind of broke him out again, even though he'd been working for like, what, a couple decades before. He It kind of broke him out to like a bit more of a Hollywood audience. Um, and yeah, it just really worked for me. Um, I liked her follow-up film to this too, The Future, uh, but I didn't like it quite as much as this Did one. Did you like The Future? Like nobody liked, I liked The it, Future. Yeah, I didn't like it as much as this one, but I still liked it. All I remember of The Future is that it was narrated by a dog. Yeah, which, you know, <laughs> yeah, she's got uh, Kajillionaire, which is her next film. It's supposed to come out this year, but I guess the COVID virus has kind of, you know, held that up. But um, I just really like her. She's also an author. You know, I've read her books and everything. I don't know. I just really like Miranda July. And I don't know. I can't speak to how she is in person or what she's saying on social media. But I don't know. Her how art- dare you? You need to know anything that you like inside and out. And if there's one little bad thing about some- somebody involved, you must completely throw okay. it away. Well, you know what? I denounce Miranda July then now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done with it. I'm done with her. Good. Good. <laughs> no, I-, I really like her. I know she is married to Mike Mills, who's another kind of like kind of standard indie white filmmaker too who's probably he's a guy who did uh thumb sucker he did beginners Ugh. with ewan mcgregor and lately Thumb he did sucker. 20th century women with annette benning um oh yeah people like 20th yeah, century I, women. i've liked his films but i don't love his stuff as much um but yeah, I'm glad that the, I really like that this film is out on Criterion and they have included her previous video uh, artwork and everything. So that's also a cool bonus feature. Wait, but how can I experience it if I'm not just walking by in a gallery somewhere headed for the snack table? <laughs> that's the best way to, to watch video art. Exactly. But also for Canadian content, me and you and everyone we know does also feature uh, Canadian actress Tracy Wright, who died tragically about a decade ago oh, now yeah. from cancer. Yeah, I like Tracy yeah, Wright a lot. Yeah, she has a pretty sizable supporting role in this. She's really good. She's in really it. good in Trigger. Yeah, she is. So we also have Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, the Sidney Lumet film starring Ethan Hawke and Philip Seymour Hoffman, which uh, I have never seen, but I have recently seen a clip of because. Um, People kept posting the clip where, like, Philip Seymour Hoffman and Ethan Hawke are like, Did you touch anything? Did you touch anything? And it was like, when you go outside during the epidemic. <laughs> See, my, my ignorance of social media is coming into play here. Um, All right, Grandpa Mark. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I really love this film, though. Yeah, it seems like a bummer um, from reading the back of it. I know. You would think that, mm-hmm. but this is like a real crackerjack thriller, honestly. I always confuse this one with... Uh, Woody Allen made a like crime thriller around this time as well, didn't he? Or Cassandra's Dream. Uh, yeah, maybe it's Cassandra's Dream. I don't know. They seem similar, but... I remember seeing this at TIFF back in the day, and it was one I just kind of got a ticket. I didn't even plan to see it. I just got a ticket to it from somebody who was like giving a ticket away. But it really, it's a great thriller. Ethan Hawke and Philip Seymour Hoffman are amazing in it. They just basically play two brothers who get in this scheme and everything goes to shit. Um, it is like really one of those like edge of your seat, like, oh my God, like what are they going to do next kind of movies? Um, it's excellent. I would say it's definitely one of Sidney Lumet has made so many movies. This is definitely a late career masterpiece for him, though, I would say. I think it was his last film. Wasn't might have it? been. No, the Vin Diesel movie was before this, I think, it was a year or two before this. So I think this might be his last one. Okay. 
But I honestly, this movie is excellent. It was out on Blu-ray briefly when it first came out and like a bare bones edition, but show factories put it on their show select line. We also so. have pretty in pink, another John Hughes film, man, these companies are just releasing stuff that we already covered the week before. I know. I know we were talking about, we just talked about John Hughes. Well, this is a paramount presents title here. <gasps> yeah. yeah I, I still don't own any of these. <laughs> I just want flash dance. That's it. But pretty in pink. Actually, this is the very first time it's on Blu-ray at all. A lot of these have already been on Blu-ray, but uh, I don't know. Pretty in pink was, Okay, I mean, I'm like don't really understand the huge love for it because it is just the whole idea that, you know, she gets together with Andrew McCarthy at the end instead of Ducky. You know, that's the big like that's the big point of contention with a lot of people. Yeah, it's just like it's got a really lame ending to it. And the whole thing. I don't remember uh, the movie at all. Isn't Ducky kind of like a stalker creep in the film? Yeah, so Ducky is John Cryer. <laughs> right. And uh, yeah, so he's basically her weirdo friend who's like kind of stalkerish and weird. And then Andrew McCarthy's the rich guy who is just kind of a lame one. And the fact that she goes for either of these guys is just lame. So that's something I, don't I hate know. about romantic comedies is that like they can't just not have the person end up with someone yeah i wish that she didn't choose any of them at the end but obviously it has this big romantic ending where she like chooses the vapid rich guy and i guess you're supposed to think this is cool i mean it's kind of the same thing that 16 candles has right like she gets together with like the vapid jock guy at the end so i don't know so we also have on a clear day you can see forever uh, with, again, Vincent Minnelli, which we talked about, and Barbara Streisand. I know. <laughs> this is like a sequel episode to the one we did last week. So have you seen this film? Because you did a podcast. I on have it, not. Right? Yeah, yeah, check out my Vincent Minnelli podcast <laughs> uh, in Porn <laughs> Cinema Club. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen this. Premise sounds intriguing, though. I mean, Barbara Streisand, like, she goes for, like, what, a hypnotherapy session, and she ends up, like, time traveling to the past and living some historical romance or no something? i think that she believes that she is someone from the past yeah oh is that what it is so okay. it's a real um i don't know what that would be a reverse uh connecticut yankee in king arthur's court oh it's fish out of water yeah you mean a kid in king arthur's court right oh what a great movie <laughs> well, we also have american madness coming out from sony uh great title um, it's directed by Frank Capra, starring Walter Houston. Not one you usually hear uh, talked about when you talk about Frank Capra. Yeah, kind of one of his obscure ones. I'd actually never heard of this film until they announced that it was coming yeah, out. Yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say about that one. Like Walter Houston. Can't say I'm a Capra fanatic or anything. Uh, Brian Song uh, is also coming out. Uh, the t- very famous TV movie. You are a James Caan fanatic, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'm actually a Scott Caan fanatic. So. Oh, okay. Oh, no. But yeah, this is a fam- very famous TV movie. Speaking of Father's Day, though, right? This is like the uh, ultimate father's movie. Yeah, the movie that destroyed racism. <laughs> so spoiler alert, James Conn dies at the end of this movie. <gasps> yeah, it's like a dog. You can't have a James Conn in your movie without him dying at the end. <laughs> yeah, I've never actually seen this film, but I... No, me neither. It's about two teammates uh, that were uh, played on the Chicago Bears, James Conn and D- Billy D. Williams. And they find out that maybe they have a few things in common. <laughs> This movie is insanely expensive on Blu-ray, though. I will give you the heads up. It's like $45. What? Why? I have no idea. Wait, is the other Sony title you got this week, Radio Flyer, the Richard Donner film, also $45? No, that's a little cheaper, too. Those are more in like the $35 range. Huh. I wonder why it's so expensive. I know, a 70s TV movie on Blu-ray. Well, it was huge. It was like a big cultural deal at the time that nobody seems to talk about anymore. No, not really. (laughs) Uh, So Radio Flyer, uh, yeah, Richard Donner, a father recounts a dark period of his childhood when he and his little brother lived in the suburbs. Yeah, I've never seen this one. For some reason, I thought this was like a real like family-friendly kind of film. And then I was reading it, looking it up today, and it's like, yeah, about domestic abuse and it's like really dark stuff. Uh, I know a lot of people that kind of grew up with this film are fans of it, though, so it's definitely got a following. I was confused this was Birdie, even though that a radio flyer is actually like a cart. Not right, a, yeah. <laughs> not actually a bird suit. Uh, and finally, World War II Heroes documentary collection by Mill Creek. So I looked this up online. I cannot find what documentaries yeah, are on it. You know what? The only reason I brought this up is because we got it in. It's just kind of a collection of random TV documentaries on World War II, which we which do do well for us here. But Of course. It doesn't matter what's on it. People will buy it. You know whose face is on the back of this bad boy, though? John Voight. Our friend. Oh, I knew it because I saw it online. I didn't see the cover. I didn't know 
though his face was on it. Oh, yeah, there's a screen cap of his scary looking face on it. Ooh, so. Okay. Uh, yeah, definitely burn that thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, I will. <laughs> After you sell them, I mean, whatever's left. Uh, so, new wise. New, 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 new. new. We have Impractical Jokers the movie. Have you ever watched Impractical Jokers show? No, I know that this is a thing. It's fun. I've watched it. Yeah, uh, the problem is that whenever they have to do like, um, like scripted bits, terrible. Like when, oh, yeah. when they can just be themselves and like, basically they're just embarrassing themselves in the situation. You know, it's like hidden prank shows. I don't like to see people uh, embarrassed, like like strangers, but it's them. So it's fun. But then they try to like make this a fictional movie and it just does not work. Um, or from what I've read, I haven't actually watched it, but I still watch the Netflix. It's on Netflix. Good show to watch when you're just, you know, eating supper or whatever. Okay. Yeah. I heard this got kind of terrible reviews, this movie, but yeah, I know the show has a following. I feel like a practical joke. It's a big thing in, uh, the U S and I don't know if it plays yeah. on any Canadian TV shows because it's on true TV, which is not a Canadian channel. Right. We also have the quarry, um, which looks like, you know, every week there's some random noir I've never heard yeah. of or neo-noir. <laughs> Uh, this one stars Michael Shannon. I know. And Shea Wiggum, who who I like. He's Yeah, I don't know. It just is another one of these noirish movies like, you know, Arkansas we talked about mm-hmm. recently. Or, I don't know. There's like so many yeah, of these coming plot. out now. After murdering a traveling preacher, a fugitive drifter assumes his identity and becomes the new cleric of a small town church. Oh, that's kind of like the plot of Banshee, the Cinemax show, except a sheriff in that one. The Quarry is just like, what a generic title. I forgot it already. I, and I just read it. I like Michael Shannon, though. I feel like Michael Shannon, even though he's in a lot of bad movies, he always brings something does to he? them. You know? Have you seen his Bigfoot movie? I have. Pottersville? He does not bring anything to that movie. I don't know. I thought he brought a little bit to that movie. <laughs> yeah, when he gets just to act bit. like Bigfoot. Just a little bit. Yeah, exactly. That movie Are you was... the same uh, way with Tom Lennon? You're like, I love Tom Lennon. Uh, I, I don't feel the different. same about Tom Lennon. <laughs> I, you know, sometimes it does feel like Michael Shannon, like someone's holding a gun to him off screen. I know. Like, Act. Well, I think he was uh, friends with the guy who made Pottersville, like their college buddies, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you could definitely feel like this is him doing a favor for his college buddy. Um, I remember but... when Michael Shannon was like enough on just like the outskirts that it was a big deal when he got to go full ham and premium rush. Yeah, 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 which he's good in. I like him. Oh, he's very good in that movie, yeah. David uh, Kep um, heads Unite. David Kep, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, I will not be checking out The Quarry. Do you have people who just, like, rent whatever neo-noir comes out? Yeah, basically. They do well for us. I mean, it's tough now because people aren't coming into the store yet. Yeah, they don't get to see the case. That's the thing. These These kind of movies do really well, though, when people are browsing the new release wall and want something to watch. Stuff like the noirish stuff and, like, generic looking action-y stuff with, like, a famous name in it always does well just from people browsing the show. Where would you say the people that are still renting movies, like, what is the median age of those people? Oh, it's older for sure. I would say like 50. 50? Okay. Yeah. So you don't get many like 20-year-olds who come in and like, what's new this week? We do have some film students come in. We, we have film student rates at the store and we definitely, because U of T is closed, we definitely have a lot of students taking advantage of it and renting criterions and like kind of, you know, kind of getting their film knowledge through us. Um, but yeah, I would say then between like, you know, 20, 30, even 40 somethings are more interested in per, our collectors or like buying stuff, whereas the rental customers are generally older. And but, like television, right? Yeah. People rent television all the time. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Especially British television. <laughs> okay. So that is definitely the 50 plus crowd. <laughs> and international. International TV is very big for us too right now. Basically, a lot of it's like Scandinavian. Yeah, I was going to say noir stuff, like TV shows. Also Australian stuff. There's a lot of like Australian crime stuff coming out. Do you have the new um, season of what is that famous UK TV show that will never end? Midsummer Murders? <laughs> no, not Midsummer Murders. Uh, what is it? Why is it on the tip of my su- tongue? Uh, it's like in a in a British village. It's like a really it's famous. Murders. No! <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's going to really bug me. They started filming it like three weeks ago. It's Midsummer Murders. <laughs> yeah, it's Midsummer Murders. No, That's what it I, is. I'm sure I'm blank. I'm blanking on it too. The, but, what uh, American soap operas are still running? Uh, I don't know. Actually, I don't really keep up with that. That's a good question. No, I mean, no, nobody really does. Yeah, so. no. some people do, right? Some people are watching. Are they? I remember being a kid and being at home like during school and being like, "Man, there's so many soap operas playing." I think the big ones are still on, like 
Bold and the Beautiful and like Days of Our Lives. Are they? All My Children, huh. I think, is still on. General yeah. Hospital still playing? I think General Hospital still uh, on, yeah. I remember, remember Passions, the soap opera? That one was weird. There was like killer dolls in it yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was an interesting one because that was a primetime one, right? Oh, was it? I thought it was. I think that uh, was, I thought that was like their experiment to bring soaps into primetime. Mm, I remember catching it on television because like, do soaps still play on TV like during the day and that's like all the, that plays? I think so. I mean, from my real house. Housewives of Beverly Hill knowledge. A couple of the ladies on that are soap stars on Bold and the Beautiful and stuff, and they're still like working every day. So I think they're still producing them. Hmm. I guess maybe I'm just not aware of it because I don't stay at home when you know I'm sick from school and watch The Price is Right. And we just don't have TV, right? Our yeah. generation. I don't think or like cable. Uh, look at the um, gossip mags on the shelf. Yeah, exactly. The, right. Yeah, the... they still have those like soap digest magazines. Ooh, though. I wonder what's going on with the British royal family this week. <laughs> uh, we also have three christs being put out man finally this movie's been uh you know sitting on a shelf for yeah. a long time a new uh john avnet film here you fan of i him? don't know who that is so he's mostly a producer he produces a lot of big big movies uh big disney movies he's like he's a producer of, like the mighty ducks and like george right, the jungle wait, wait. And stuff but i he's just also figured out Do- coronation street that's what i was thinking of oh that's it right of course Corey. yeah sorry i was thinking i was still like in the crime mindset i'm like what yeah, I, I grew up with Corey, that's for sure. Well, my family's British, right? Well, one side of my family's British, yeah. <laughs> so that way I was exposed to a lot of Corey because it was always on CBC every uh, every night. Oh, yeah. I remember my stepmom watched Coronation Street. But like um, a Brit, Brit, British, Britophiles? How do you say this? Um, yeah, Brit. I don't know. Britophiles? Britaholics. <laughs> Britaholics. Like Coronation Street is like the gateway drug. Like, it is, They drink yeah. their tea and they watch Coronation Street and oh, they yeah. feel British. It's great. It's entertaining. I mean, I haven't watched it um, consistently in years, but it's one of those shows like anytime I would like go home to my parents' place and it would come on, it's like you fall right back into it even if you haven't watched it in like five years. Is that like released on DVD in any form? Like uh, They used to release sets of it actually, okay. but I think they're all out of print now. Mm. I don't think they make them. All right, back to Three Christ and the producer slash director. So, yeah, John Avnet. So he's probably best known as a director for Fried Green Tomatoes, which I've never, which <laughs> yeah. I've never seen. Yeah. But uh, but he hasn't We're men, directed. We don't watch a, that kind of movie. But he hasn't actually directed a movie before this since the one-two punch, Al Pacino punch of eighty-eight minutes and Righteous Kill, <laughs> which. Uh, uh. Al Pacino and Robert De Niro together at last. That movie was terrible. 88 Minutes, though, is a guilty pleasure of mine. That movie is hilarious. 88 Minutes is the one where Al Pacino gets a... He's like a professor. He's like a forensics criminal psychologist turned professor. And he gets a phone call one day and he's which just says, you have 88 minutes to live. And it just hangs up and he has to figure out who this is. Um, hilariously bad movie. I would suggest it to anybody who wants a good, bad Al Pacino performance. I like Al Pacino in bad movies. He always, like, brings energy to it, you know? Except for Righteous Kill, which was boring. Honestly. I love that interview that Al Pacino did where he's like, I just take these bad movies because I, I just want to make them better, like, by acting in them. <laughs> uh, so, Three three Christ, uh, great cast, Richard Gere, Peter Dinklage, Walter Goggins. Uh, it looks like a pretty kind of basic drama i don't know this didn't really play much anywhere i I don't know yeah it played tiff and then yeah it took what three years to come out in any sort of form to come out yeah because it's too good they wanted to wait for the perfect moment this feels like one of those like prestige dramas that play that plays at tiff that actually just isn't very good at all and then (laughs) and uh, yeah so i will not be checking this one out (laughs) maybe they're trying to like uh, piggyback after after two popes fever. This feels like one of those like prestige dramas that play that plays at TIFF that actually just isn't very good at all. And then <laughs> yeah, gala movies like TIFF just did a press release where they're like, we're going to focus on like star driven gala premieres. We're going to cut it down to 50 movies, all of which are like big movies that we are with stars in them. Uh, listen, I got to line up for my screening of uh, that Johnny Depp gangster film that's also opening uh, this week. Uh, Black Mass. Yeah. Yeah. I literally remember people lining up for the press screening when it had opened two days before. I know. I just went to see that. The- I remember, yeah, I-, I had an open window on my TIFF schedule that year, and it was just open in theaters, opening in theaters. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to go see Black Mass. Yeah, I'll just go waste my time with something I know I'm not going to enjoy. I know. Yeah, it was terrible. Uh, we also have Project Blue Book Season 2. Do you know what this is? It seems like an alien thing. It is. It's like ancient aliens, but fictionalized. No. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Robert Zemeckis is a producer on this. Oh, um, yeah. Mark Quality. <laughs> I don't know. It's Yeah, I know. It takes place in the 
fifties, I think, about a couple of investigator government investigators or something. Yeah, I don't so know. it's like the X Files. Like they look up alien stuff and they have to prove if it's real or fake. Some of them they can't explain. Exactly. I think it's a History Channel show, you know, so you know it's quality. Oh, uh, History Channel. Do they do a lot of fictional stuff? Sometimes now. Yeah, they're getting into it more and so more. So we also have Advocate. Now we're getting to the serious stuff we can't make jokes about. <laughs> no. A look at the life and work of a Jewish-Israeli lawyer, Leah Tzmel, who has represented political prisoners for nearly 50 years. I haven't seen this one, I yeah, but uh, I know this has been a big what? hit. That's your job. you got to see all these I documentaries, know, I know. Mark. I failed you. Uh, I know this was a big hit on the festival circuit. It's got amazing reviews, so I would say recommend it just based on that it's also partly canadian too so canadian pride oh isn't graves without a name another documentary that's being released this week also canadian no that one's cambodian actually so this one's from uh director uh rithy pawn i might be mangling that name okay yeah he uh but he's been known to do uh like kind of definitive documentaries on the cambodian genocide he made s21 and the missing picture which i believe was nominated for a oscar for best documentary a few years back so he kind of like does really intimate chronicles of um the cambodian genocide and like its effects even to this day uh we also have midnight family which is not a documentary i assume this one is a documentary too (laughs) it is a documentary as well this was a big hit too on the festival circuit this is about a a mexican documentary about a a family who has their own for hire ambulance um ambulance chasing business yeah and they try and like basically compete with other ambulance chasers Uh, sounds like a bummer no fun documentaries this week you know ones about laughs and high fives i know it's all serious stuff this week (laughs) uh we also have the lodge speaking of serious stuff did you like Goodnight Mommy? I liked Goodnight Mommy. Um, yeah, no, I really like Goodnight Mommy. It has really great uh, mood and atmosphere to it. Uh, the directors of it, Severin Fiala and Veronica Franz, were, I think, protégés of Ulrich Seidel, the uh, German-Austrian director. He's the guy who made Dog Days and a bunch of like really austere kind of like Austrian uh, – it was German or Austrian films – uh, he's really good. Um, so, but he's like super art house. So they've kind of taken his like art house style and made more like horror movies. Well, I've heard Good Night, Mommy has the dumbest twist in the world. It does. So I, yeah, I was gonna say like, despite how dumb the twist kind of is, um, I still like Good Night, Mommy. The Lodge. I didn't like so much, I have to say. Oh, yeah. Does it have a really dumb twist as well? <sighs> kind of. Not in as much of a way as Good Night, Mommy does. My problem with The Lodge is, so I guess, did you, you didn't see this film? No, no, no. I'm sure it's a bummer. Because, you know, I say the word bummer a lot, but like, it means a specific thing. If I can read a bunch of reviews, these kind of horror movies, and I just get the tone of it, and I'm like, eh, I don't need to see that. I got it. It is a bummer. I, I saw this in an advanced screening at the uh, at the Royal Cinema, actually, here in Toronto, late last year. Yeah, they, they played this a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. They, because I think this played at Sundance like 2019 or something. I like, think they thought it was going to be a bigger deal than it actually ended up being. Like they were hoping for another like hereditary. Yeah, but I think when they actually did finally release it earlier this year, like back in I think February or so it kind of came out, it did actually make a little more money than some of these indie horror movies did. Um, but yeah, it's basically... In terms of it's, it's got, again, great mood, great style. They know what they're doing. Although a lot of the mood is kind of just ripping off The Shining. It takes place in like a secluded house in the winter, in the middle of nowhere. So there's a lot of like shining atmosphere to it. Um, the story, though, to me is really stupid and gets stupider the longer it goes on. I mean, it's you can't really talk about it without spoiling it, so I won't really say what the details are. Basically, this Riley Keough plays a, a new... A girlfriend turned like new fiance to this guy, older gentleman, who has kids with his previous wife, who's played by Alicia Silverstone. And she, something tragic happens to her right at the beginning. It's not really spoiling anything. So basically, she has to take it, take on this like mothering kind of role, even though she's a lot younger. And these kids clearly don't really like her. And also, she has mental issues, too, that go back from. So it's kind of like a repulsion-esque thing. And then things just take a turn where the husband is called away on business all of a sudden and she has to take care of these kids by herself. And things just go completely off the rails for me at that point. And I don't buy a second of the story. You, they make it seem like it's going to be this psychological thing, kind of like how Goodnight Mommy was. Oh, maybe this isn't real or whatever. 
But no, it, it's real and it just doesn't make any sense to me. I, I don't know. It's, I think a lot of people really dig it because of the mood and the mood alone. But like it just doesn't do anything else for me. Listen, if I want my Shining kick, I'm going to watch the Australian classic Next of Kids. Oh, yeah. That's a great Shining ripoff movie. No, I don't know. I mean, I like a lot. I like the directors. I like a lot of people, the actors involved in this movie. It just... It's so like airless and just like dour and it's so self. It's like a parody of like pompous horror film is the sense I got. I'm getting sick of some of these horror movies that take themselves so seriously when their stories actually aren't really that good at all. So So we also have After Midnight uh, being released by Good Deed. This is a new film from Jeremy Gardner who made the really fun uh, zombie film The Battery a few years back. Yeah, I missed that one, but I heard a lot of good things about it. This Blu-ray, is it just like the movie? Yeah. Because it got a special edition in the UK through Arrow Video. Yeah, so it was a UK only. It seems like a lot of the new... Because in in the UK, Arrow does a lot of theatrical distribution too. So I guess they got this one. Here, it already had this company. I guess Good Deed already had the rights to it for whatever reason. Um, so, yeah, it's a really bare bones affair. It's basically just the movie, which is a shame because, yeah, we would love to import the Arrow one, but it's like region coded and we just can't get it here. Mm. But if you just want, I did hear a lot of good things about this film. We do have it for. Yeah, if you just want to rent it. We have it for rent as well. So if you just want to check it out and it's not, it's pretty, you know, it's like 20 bucks for the Blu-ray. So it is fairly reasonably priced. <laughs> Why not just buy it, guys? Please buy it. You can't return these ones, right, Mark? <laughs> right. Well, a lot of these like new movie Blu-rays that come out are a lot more expensive than that. So <laughs> yeah, that's it's true. Not a bad uh, deal. Why couldn't they just put it over the UK special features? I don't know. I don't know. It's a rights. I guess Arrow just owns all the special features. Yeah, you know, that's so. probably 100% what it is. And finally, I like how you put our blind buy last this week. Think like a dog. Well, I figured this was the piece de resistance of this week's episode. Uh, oh, we, oh, sorry. I forgot to say. It's think like a dog. And it's our blind buy. Blind buy. So I picked this one. Yeah, you might think this was my pick. Very quickly. I was just scrolling through last time we finished doing the podcast. And I went, oh, man. A dog movie that stars Josh Duhamel, Megan Fox. Kunal Nayar from uh, Big Bang Theory. Oh, yeah, that's right. Playing the villain of the piece. It's just kind of racially insensitive, I have to say. This is the craziest pro-China movie I've seen in years. I did not expect this watching this movie. I did not realize this had Chinese money in it until like the opening credits start. And like one of the first logos is like a Chinese company. Uh, I just thought this was some, like, benign family film. It's directed... Yeah, like, maybe, like, a Christian film. Yeah, or, like, Um, Agent Toby Barks, which I watched a couple weeks ago. Um, I mean, it's directed by uh, Jill Junger, who made... Yeah, who did 10 Things I Hate About You. Yeah, which is a decent film. I mean, I liked it when I was a kid. Oh, man, but he's a real hack. Have you looked at his filmography? Like, (laughs) Oh, I have, yeah. He's got some bad TV movies on there. But this is his first, like semi-notable film in years yeah I, guess. I mean if you're in china i guess i mean yeah not that this played anywhere in theaters other than china i guess but like this movie is a uh, so hilariously pro-china like the oh main character God. is friends with someone in china someone in china where life is great like it looks like the future essentially well, there's a hilarious opening scene where he's talking to his friend on the phone he has this weird phone relationship with his friend in china and he's talking to him from the great wall <laughs> he's just like hanging yeah, out yeah doing like martial <laughs> doing arts martial arts stuff uh, number one i don't think they would be able to communicate through social media uh from china on these <laughs> platforms exactly right so yeah this is one of your standard like genius kid movie so it's about a genius kid who creates a dog collar of sorts to be able to read people's thoughts well it's not really a do- it's a collar. i was right? very confused about what was going on and he like what's the mechanism collar, yeah for his like science fair at his like really rich like preppy school and basically through a series of you know hilarious events it eventually gets put on his dog and he starts to hear the inner thoughts of his dog who is not voiced by anybody notable no really. he's not voiced by someone famous they went for quality over star power <laughs> um, <laughs> at first i was like is that norm mcdonald i feel like 
Norm Macdonald has done dog movies, though. Well, it sounds like a famous voice. Yeah, it does. You can't, it sounds like the voice of a famous actor, but you can't quite place it. Do you think it's you like, a, and like the not... Chinese um, investors are like, we need like a generic famous voice? I think so. It's like a generic American famous voice, but not somebody who's famous because we can't afford that. I mean, they could afford um, a Megan Fox to be in this movie. They could afford Megan Fox. So Megan Fox and Josh Duomo play the parents of this kid, which is really weird and creepy because they were both in Oh yeah, and she was 15. I looked up their ages. So he's like almost 50 and she's in her late mid-30s. So like in Transformers, he's like a grown man and she's like a high schooler with Shia LaBeouf and now they're like a married couple with a kid, even though he looks way older than her now. Oh, way Uh, older. Way older. And And like the kid is what, like 12? Yeah, something like that. So she had a kid in like the early 20s when he was in like his mid-30s. Yeah, okay. But I mean, I guess, you know, she was with Brian Austin Green for for a long time. So I guess, you know, she likes older guys. (laughs) I mean, I don't think Megan Fox is playing herself. And this is a drama (laughs) shot in real time. Yeah. Um, But anyways, they're on the verge of separating these two. Although it's the most peaceful separation. It's like the most undramatic separation I've ever seen. Like the whole reason they're going to separate is because Josh Duomo gets a job offer he's like a soccer coach and gets a job offer in another town and she's like well i'm not gonna go so they're just kind of like all right well i guess we'll separate i mean i I never buy movies where at the end the kid gets the parents to like come back together and realize they're in love it's like that's such a fake message right and this kid is like supposedly such a genius i mean is there anything worse than like genius kid movies i just hate those little bastards but like all he wants to do is just with this like newfound power is work with his dog to be able to get his parents to love each other again which (laughs) mostly involves the dog farting (laughs) there's so much dog farting in this eat this fart face is a classic line the dog spits out Uh, and then meanwhile, Kunal Nayar, I might be mispronouncing that, from The Big Bang Theory, plays like a famous scientist guy who basically comes to judge the science fair. And once he sees this kid's dog collar thing, he wants it for himself. So he becomes the villain. Super racist with him, I would say, especially when like, I mean, just the fact that he's the villain and he's like of color and there's that awkward scene at the beginning where he's kind of introducing himself to the to the school and he talks about like, oh, this is just like my school growing up, except none of my classmates were white and something about also being poor and everything. And none of the and everybody's just weirdly, awkwardly silent. It's like supposed to be played as a joke or something. The whole idea is like he is the villain and they're kind of like putting him in his background as this like villainous thing while holding up this like white family white you know white privilege this like rich white privilege is like the status they live quo and everything in such a giant house why does oh he have to oh my god like yeah. isn't he just like a soccer coach how, he's just how a soccer they, coach how can they afford that does megan fox have a job in the movie i forget i don't think so i don't i don't how know what she does they, how do they afford that house i mean megan fox and josh duwabel do like barely anything in this movie other oh, yeah. than like I, they're not even in it as much as like they get the credits like the and josh duwabel and megan fox credits like they're not even even though they're front and center on the cover of this they're not really like the like even major supporting characters they're just kind of like a plot device for this kid to like have something to do i guess yeah and like the horny dog who really wants to sleep with the women dog oh my god yeah oh geez there's so much like inappropriate sexual innuendos in this too (laughs) so uh we're reaching the end and would this be a recommended blind buy i'm gonna say no i I found overall it was pretty boring i mean Uh, the only thing that i enjoyed was all the chinese propaganda oh my god because it was like so unexpected that like they keep talking about like going to china and like china this china that (laughs) and there is a pushing of this like status quo kind of values of like never strive for something bigger almost Mm -hmm. because the whole thing is like josh duomo wants this job that's like will give him a little more exposure and so they and it's not they play it like that's such an awful thing and i stay in your place collectivism is what's important yeah exactly i think the kid even at one point says something like you know people don't realize people with problems don't really realize the great life they already have or something it's like god yeah i mean that's Yeah, that's that's great great if you're a rich white kid who has this beautiful house, though, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. 
that somehow his dad on like a high yeah. school soccer salary <laughs> yeah. can afford and his mom who seemingly doesn't have a job at all so all right so uh yeah highest recommendation for think like a dog of course of course well i mean it continues the like weird dog movies have titles that sound like other popular movies right right yeah <laughs> like, so oh, you know I the classic know. think like a man series you know people who love that will love the dog based version of it yeah I will say this was maybe a little more entertaining than Agent Toby Barks was. From well, it had a bigger budget. That China money. It had a bigger money. budget. Yeah. Agent Toby Barks was really boring with the exception of John. I mean, but at least that had John Lovitz as the voice, which is kind of entertaining. <laughs> yeah. So if they could have had John Lovitz be the voice of the dog in this one, then Ooh, everything yeah. would have been right with the world. Five out of five. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's it for this week for the Bay Street Video Podcast. So until next week, my name is Justin Glue. And I'm Mark Hansen. Keep on buying. And keep on renting. What you wanna watch. These movies and many more are available at your local video store.